Today's episode of Home Row is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word, and it also inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or for sharing with your neighbor hearing God's Word for the very first time. Learn more at csbible.com. I'm I'm writing. You know how to write. Without the without the without the writing, you have nothing. I'm writing. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Home Row. And on today's show, I have two guests on that I've tried to have on the show. We've had so many different scheduling difficulties, and my computer messed up, and my scheduling program messed up. But finally, the the planets and the stars have aligned, and the <laughs> the mastermind women behind Risen Motherhood, our great sisters, Emily and Laura are here and to talk about their new book and their writing. How are you ladies doing? Oh, we're doing so good. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're happy to be here. Yep. So, so excited to have you on the show. Now, where is uh, the global global headquarters of Risen Motherhood? (laughs) Where are y'all located? Oh, yeah, the global headquarters, really impressive, is located in central Iowa. Small town Iowa in the cornfields. <laughs> okay. yeah, it's a bunch of cornfields and it's it's a bunch of moms, you know, working out of their homes. So it's uh, not as glamorous as, yeah. as it sounds, but <laughs> we do we have, have women, it. though, that are all over the country. Yes. So we have yes. Dallas and Pennsylvania yep. and um, Charlotte represented. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we've got women all over. Yeah, I think I just saw on uh, Instagram this morning, there was a a board meeting going on and saw Instagram. Yeah, Yeah, great ministry. So for the people out there who maybe don't know, especially if there's guys out there who are listening who don't know about Risen Motherhood, uh, what what is y'all's ministry? Yeah, um, Risen Motherhood started about four years ago, and Emily and I were just talking at the time about motherhood. We were just in the the beginning stages, and we were asking the question, essentially, what does our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ have to do with the day-to-day moments in motherhood that we're facing right now? And so we were having these conversations, and um, at the time, we were both kind of individually parallel blogging, and we thought, maybe we should air these conversations, because as we were talking with our friends and talking with other people, we realized that um, they were asking the same questions that we were. And so we started a podcast about four years ago just to, yeah, essentially air the conversations that we were having in real life. And from there, as a motherhood has really just grown and very organically. And so today we have a podcast. We push out a couple articles a week written from women all over the world. We have social media platforms where we post um, encouragement to every weekday. We produce equipping resources and Bible study tools. So we kind of run the gamut. We also help women, um, moms find tools to use in their families and with their children to just raise them to know and love the Lord. So uh, we're kind of basically trying to help moms find the stuff that we wish was around whenever right. we were first-time moms and to just point them to the gospel day in and day out and just to remember that there is a much bigger story that they're a part of. It is not just mm-hmm. dishes and going to work and changing mm-hmm. diapers, but there is um, there's a greater story to be swept up in. Right. Amen. Such a such a great ministry and really grateful for, for what y'all do in the writing and encouragement um, and the podcast. I just hear so many good things and, and people and ladies I know that benefit from it. So thank you so much. 
Um, now, for the people out there who don't know who, who y'all are, so Laura, why don't you start? Or Emily, y'all can rock, paper, scissors, whoever wants to go first. Um, <laughs> just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, family, all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm Laura Whiffler and I have three kiddos and I'm married to my husband, Mike. And as we mentioned, we're both Emily and I are in central Iowa and we're also sister-in-laws. So Emily is married to my brother, Brad, and uh, I'm the executive director at Risen Motherhood. So that's kind of my day to day is filled up with all sorts of work. It is filled up with, of course, doing Risen Motherhood. And then also um, I just work part-time there. So I'm running kids to and from school and uh kind of taking care of the home and doing all things like that. And then I'm involved in my local church as well and serve on the women's equipping team there. So that's kind of a, a very high level overview of what a day might look like. Yeah. Yeah. My, I always sound, feel like mine sounds so similar, but uh, Emily here and like Laura said, I'm married to her brother, Brad, and we have five children. So uh, I also do a lot of different types of work during the day. I serve as the content director with Risen Motherhood. And then I also am, you know, doing meals and picking up toys that got scattered all over the floor and running around in the backyard with kids. So it really spans the gamut. And uh, each day is a little bit different. But I also love serving in the local church with the uh, men's and women's ministry team and love teaching Sunday school week in and week out. That has been kind of a a new development for my husband and I this year. And that's been really fun. So uh, definitely have a love for that as well. Yeah, so cool. Now, what are the, the span of the ages of your kids? We've run from two to six. Yeah, my seven. oldest is seven. Seven. Yeah. And okay. we've got, I have a six-year-old and Emily has a seven-year-old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, my daughter's 10, uh, about to be 11, and it's, nice. it's wild. She's growing so fast. She's going to be taller than me so soon. Oh. It's unbelievable. I just, That's crazy. It does. You know, you hear people say all the time, and I'm sure y'all heard this too and, and say this to people, you know, time flies. And mm-hmm. I just, she used to be this little roly poly chubby little baby. <laughs> and now she's this tall athletic soccer player. And I, it's just, it's crazy. And my son's five. And so I took him to kindergarten today and he's having mm-hmm. PE and book fair and, and all that fun stuff. So, oh, so yep. Now what's, I know since y'all do listen to the show, which I can't believe, I can't believe I listen to the show. So that's so cool. For me. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm fangirling too, to ha- 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 have y'all here. So, you know, I always ask, so what's something that you do for fun in central Iowa up there? Is it corn oh, mazes? Man. What is it? Uh, uh, literally, yes. Yeah. Like, so you, you took my answer, basically, because there's a thing in Iowa called agro-tourism. You guys might have this in Texas, but where basically people take their farm and they make it into like a mini amusement park. Wow. Without rides. But, you know, there's like, you can go on a hayride, you can go to the corn maze, you can uh, put apples in a slingshot and shoot them out into the field. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But it's a big thing here. Like, I think there are, there's one we go to that's about 20 minutes south of us, and my kids just love it. It's one of our favorite parts Mm -hmm. of the fall is going down to the orchard and doing all the different activities and seeing the animals. So that's something we're doing for fun in this season. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was not what I was expecting at all. (laughs) <laughs> you got a nail on the head with your guests. That is, it's last year we went to the corn maze, my family and um, my parents also joined us and we got stuck in the corn maze for at least two and a half hours, if oh, not three no. hours. It mm. took us 
it was, we were actually feeling quite a bit of desperation yeah. of like, we are stuck in here forever because they make those corn mazes really intricate, really good. And from now on, I will only be going to the kid corn maze, right. not to the adult Oh my goodness. I couldn't imagine. It'd be total meltdown with my kids. Yeah, we had three kids with us. We were carrying them and they were, they were done. We were done. Yeah. When you mentioned the, Hey, you know amusement park i couldn't help but think of i don't know if y'all watch the office but there's a an an episode of the office where dwight uh has the hay festival at uh at the office and he crowns himself the hay king and 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 all this stuff so i'll put a link in the show notes for listeners you guys that watch the office and i'm sure there's a link on youtube to dwight crowning himself as the hay king and and all that good stuff now, okay. how, how did y'all be, become writers? Did so? It sounded like kind of maybe the podcast came first. Is, is that how with uh, Risen Motherhood did the podcast start and then the site launched? Which one came first? With Risen Motherhood, yes, the podcast started okay. first, and we didn't even launch social platforms or definitely not a website or anything like that for like I want to say eight to ten mm-hmm. months or so after the podcast started and. When we started the show, um, Emily and I were both blogging individually on our own platforms and and different types of content, not necessarily like motherhood and the gospel type of content. Um, And I remember us kind of starting out saying, let's just do a five episode mini series. And it was something that we weren't sure we would even continue. We just wanted to kind of test out this idea. And we'd always had a dream of getting to work together. And so this seemed like a great chance to test a new medium and do a project together. And then it was just so well received that very slowly, and I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. very slowly, we added different components to the ministry over the past four years. Yeah. And to Laura's point, we'd both been writing before that for Mm -hmm. probably six or seven years. Yeah. Um, I had started writing for, uh, like I wrote for, for the church and, um, a couple of other sites and Laura was starting to kind of write on some bigger sites too. And I think we both had this heartbeat for writing. And I remember when we started podcasting and that content development started to kind of overwhelm in such a way that it was difficult to kind of continue writing like on individual blogs and develop the podcast content for Risen Motherhood. I remember feeling like, oh, okay, like I'll just have to put aside my writing. But what was really neat was about a year and a half later, we got connected with an agent, which is how our book project came about. But we both already had a a huge love for writing. Mm -hmm. And that was already something that we had been doing. And then um, we it wasn't too long before then we introduced that into our ministry as well and started a ministry blog and kind of took our hand at editing and finding writers and curating content. And that was another really fun aspect. Mm-hmm. Is this like, you know, you dial back the, the calendar. Is there times in high school or was it college? Like, when did you realize, I think I have the gifts and the abilities to write? Um, and how have you seen those develop over the years? Yeah, it's, it's fun. Now, in hindsight, I can see all of these <laughs> things coming together. But I don't think I realized that my interest in writing was as maybe unique or as different from other people. But when I look back, I always loved in school a, an essay test or like a paper that I had to do. I mean, it was work. But if I had to choose, like I would have chosen that time and time and time again. Um, and And didn't really realize until I became an adult that that was something I probably had like some natural skill in or some natural interest in. I mean, Laura would probably say this too. I was like a habitual journal growing mm-hmm. up. I mean, I would just like, I had 
dozens of journals by oh, the wow. time I graduated from high school. And my, my parents were like, what are we going to do with all of these? <laughs> um, and so I, but I, I never thought of that as like unique, I guess I didn't realize that, Oh, there's jobs for writers. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I thought of that other than I remember there was in middle school, uh, a female nonfiction Christian writer came to our church and she signed a book for me. I have no idea what the book was even about, but I just remember thinking she has the coolest job in the world. And I kept that book for a long time. I don't even know if I read it, (laughs) which is funny, but I, that was kind of the first taste of, of an idea or seed planted in my mind of, huh, there's people out there that do this for a living. That's so cool. Um, so there was just a lot of seeds, seeds scattered for me. Um, my grandma too, when I was little, she was a huge influence in my life. And in her senior years before she died, she was actually trying to publish a children's book. And so I remember she would bring me alongside her in her office and she'd be on her, like, uh, I think she used a typewriter. It was like kind of a, one of those more modern typewriters. And she would like get her manuscripts out and she'd have me try to illustrate things. And so it's just, again, another thing that I back and think like, oh, that was planting seeds for me. Or I was thinking that that was cool a long, long time ago. So Laura, what was that like for you? Yeah, I I think my story is a little bit different with that. I grew up probably always knowing that I loved writing like Emily. I definitely was a heavy journaler, diary keeper, that type of person. Um, But I always excelled a little bit more in the writing and English realm and almost to the Mm -hmm. demise of some of the maths and science area (laughs) of my life. Um, And I want to say it was maybe in late elementary, I won an AT&T writing contest. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I mean, it was probably local. I should go dig up the certificate. But I remember there was, you know, I had won this award and just thought, oh, I'm going to write for the rest of my life. It was like a moment that I really, I first got my recognition and I don't even know what it was about anymore. But um, from there, I actually went to uh, college and received a degree in journalism and mass communication with an emphasis in public relations. And I have a minor in English and technical communication. So it was definitely like, I don't know what I want to do. I did not really want to do public relations, but I knew that I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed um, administrative tasks and, and organization, things like that. And so from there, I ended up working at a public relations agent's excuse me, a public relations agency for about, oh, I don't know, three to five years, somewhere there in there before becoming a mom. And I had a chance to write all sorts of different types of copy. And I wrote for a lot of um, organizations that I didn't have a lot of interest in, or I didn't necessarily feel like bonded to the topic, but I had to learn to be able to create something out of nothing. And I remember I would get an assignment and it would just be, you know, here's a couple of quick bullet points. Now write a press release about this or pitch this to the local papers or whatever that may be. And it was very hard, but I'm so thankful for that season because I was edited ruthlessly all the time by my managers Mm -hmm. and my colleagues and things like that. And I really learned the value of editing and that it is actually kind of a show of love towards the writer <laughs> yes. to protect you as the writer and to, to help support you and make you better. And so um, while I wasn't necessarily doing writing that maybe fil- fulfilled me, it was a great chance for me to learn how to do all sorts of writings and r- all sorts of different type of writing and really grow in that skill set. Yeah. Yeah, who are who are some of the writers that you think about, um, either you know dead or alive, that you look to throughout the years that they've been a a source of you know godly imitation and encouragement and, and modeling. Mm. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, 
I think when I was, when I was starting out writing, um, I think more spiritual things. So this probably would have been in, you know, 2011, 2010, somewhere in there. Um, I remember reading like, you know, Jared Wilson and Elise Fitzpatrick and, uh, Paul David Tripp. Like, I think those were some people who I was really drawn to this idea of what it looks like to communicate this deep, profound theological truth in a way that was also like really practical and persuasive and, um, really felt like it mattered for life. And while I was very well read across like a lot of different types of books and different types of authors, I think those were like some early people for me that I thought, Oh, I, I kind of want my writing to sound like this. Mm-hmm. Um, or it was an emulation for me. Yeah. But you, Laura? Yeah. I would say the exact same thing. I think many of those people were kind of forerunners for us in, how they wrote and how they made connections and um, just the ways that they both told a story and drew you in, but also um, brought the gospel kind of down to earth or tethered it to the earth. And so I would, I would just concur. I think we're reading a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. Right. Now you got the, the brand new book, Risen Motherhood. How, how long has it been, been out now? Oh, since September 3rd. Yeah. September 3rd. Okay. Little, yeah. A little over a month. Yeah. And so how did this book come about? There's so the full title, Risen Motherhood, Gospel Hope for Everyday Moments. Uh, you mentioned the agent, um, which is really important if you're out there trying to publish a book. And, and unless you're some kind of uber famous person, you probably don't need an agent. Uh, but if you're, you know, a normal Christian writer, you it's it's so wise and, and helpful to have one. So how did the idea uh, for the book Risen Motherhood come about? Yeah, well, I think as Laura mentioned earlier, we had already been podcasting a little while. So the Risen Motherhood podcast had been out there. Um, and then we were approached by a really reputable agent. And he um, really talked with us about the idea of doing a Risen Motherhood book. And I think it was just kind of a an obvious next step or like, hey, if we were going to write a book, it would be helpful to do this overview resource. It was something that we loved. It was something that we felt like, hey, we see a gap in the market for a motherhood book like this that can not only be read by a mom who's several years into motherhood and she's wanting to have a gospel paradigm, but it could also be gifted at a baby shower. It could be something that women come together in a neighborhood and they all have young kids and they have this book club and they they sit down and they talk about the gospel with maybe neighbors that aren't coming to church yet. And so we really wanted to create this resource that was both accessible for um, a mom who maybe doesn't know what she believes about the gospel yet or is going to church, but she's not really applying her faith in her everyday life. But that also was life-giving to a more mature woman who was really needing these important reminders. And so as we talked with our agent, I think the idea crystallized pretty quickly. And then kind of the next thing we had to work out was like, how do you co-write? And that was an interesting part of the process was figuring out how we were going to split things up and then have this nice cohesive voice across the whole book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We wrote the proposal for about, would you say five months? Yeah. We we were both pregnant at the time with my third. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And I know. And so we took a little bit of time to Uh kind of slowly write the proposal and flush everything out. But like Emily said, it's sort of just kind of flowed out of us because we knew we wanted to kind of take these things that we'd already done and and 
really transfer them in a fresh way, but into a new medium. But we had a lot of the foundation. And then uh, I think we had about two months of Mm -hmm. pitching different publishers and kind of going through that process. And then from the time we got the contract to the time the book came out was, I want to say 18 to 20 months, something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Almost two years. Wow. So what was the, uh, the writing process like throughout all of that? What were some of your habits? Um, obviously you guys are so you're busy. You're like, just like the rest of us, you've got young (laughs) kids, you are pregnant. You've got also to maintain your ministry, uh, the website, you've got the podcast and also your, your ministry at your local church, uh, your husband's, I mean, you got all this stuff going on. And I, I know there's probably, you know, other moms out there listening who would love to write and do all this stuff, but just wonder how am I going to get it all done? So what were some of your, your secrets and the tips and tricks for, for getting it all done? Hmm. I think one of the most helpful things, and I, I'm betting Emily will agree with this, was actually just um, blocking away weekends to take time away and write. And something that I had to kind of calculate early on was, okay, this is about how long it's going to take me to write an Instagram microblog. This is about how long it takes me to write a blog post. And this is about how long it takes me to write a book chapter. And kind of having a rough idea for those numbers and, and getting you know, uh, at least an average number helped me a lot with managing my time throughout the year. And so I would know that, hey, I owe Risen Motherhood these three microblogs and I have, you know, 30 minutes, I can get those knocked out here. But then taking time away for a chapter, chapter took me more like maybe eight hours, mm-hmm. if not more, sometimes they might've gone a little bit faster. Um, but I know I knew that, okay, I'd really like to have at least four hours to get into that chapter to make sure I've got the time. And so I went on a work trip with my husband out to Chicago. And while he was in conferences, I wrote all day in the hotel room, or I would go up to Minnesota to my mother-in-law's house and she would take the kids and I would get a good chunk of time to be able to knock out a couple chapters. So I think that really helped me with managing my time with all the different types of writing that I needed to do to know, to not bite off more than I could chew in a small amount of time. Yeah. 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 And that was another thing we did was when we first got the deadline, we went, okay, we know what life with young children is like. And in this season, unpredictable stuff happens. So we can't wait until, you know, two weeks before and like plug in a bunch of work because, well, flu could come through our whole house and knock everybody out or who knows. And so we really built in about a two month buffer before our deadline. And we made ourselves get the book done before then. And that gave us ample time to circulate the manuscript uh, with people that we trusted to get some feedback and make some edits before we turned it in, which actually that work paid off tremendously Mm -hmm. in the editing stage. We made sure that we had checkpoints along the way. So it wasn't like oh, there's going to be this one day and we're going to wait and we've got to all get all these chapters done. Like we very much paced ourselves. And so for me, similar to Laura, I just said, hey, every week, I kind of looked at it as like, I'm going to have little chunks of time and then big chunks of time. So every week I'm going to set aside three hours towards the book. And then once a month, I'm going to set aside a bigger chunk of time. Like a Saturday, I've got to go to a coffee shop. Or like Laura said, I went on one big writing retreat. And so that was just kind of how my husband and I planned it. Now, anybody who writes knows that sometimes you sit down and you're three hours and you're like, yeah, <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, like I could, but, I could have taken a nap. That's, that would have oh been more goodness. productive. <laughs> so frustrating. But I think we encourage each other a lot along the way that like, Every part of the process is working towards yeah. that end goal, that end 
product of whatever that chapter is. So if all I could do that day is like mind map, or if all I could do that day was brainstorm some Bible verses or read something on the topic, like that was still inching me toward that goal. Because then maybe the next time I sat down in my three hour block, I had all these ideas built up and I could spill out, Mm -hmm. you know, half a chapter right there. And so I just think that consistency and then being comfortable with like, it's not going to be perfect every time I sit down. Sometimes it's going to feel like I did nothing. And other times it's just going to flow out and it's going to be great. Yeah, I think viewing every moment as productivity. Yeah. You know, we would always say nothing is wasted, even yeah. if you sat there and banged your head on the desk. Well, that, <laughs> that just needed to happen in order for you to move to the next step. And I remember we would encourage one another in that because we would say, I have nothing or I just wasted a bunch of time and I'm frustrated. And we would say, no, that was that was a, a necessary kind of step to the process. And so that was huge. And then the last thing I would just add is not uh, undervaluing thinking and just the Mm -hmm. idea of living life and letting yourself sort of in the back of your mind, be thinking about what you want to write and allowing that to just take shape. And sometimes I joke that the book was really written, you know, on the gravel roads of Iowa while I went on runs and walks with my kids and things like that, because my first draft typically was written in my head. And that was just while doing the dishes or Mm -hmm. vacuuming the house. And so seeing that as productive time as well and not devaluing it, I think is huge. Mm -hmm. And and just knowing that that's a good part to the process. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I I think as, you know, as a, as a pastor, you know, I preach over around 40 Sundays a year that (laughs) so much of the, the applications and illustrations and, you know, meditating on text, it doesn't happen at the desk. It does happen on those gravel roads. It does happen at the soccer fields. And I think it's so much true of writing. And Mm -hmm. I think Dan DeWitt, who's a professor at Cedarville University, uh, he teaches a lot on on C.S. Lewis. And I think he tweeted this recently, that that Lewis's insights probably came from him not listening to the radio all day, but out walking the garden, out on the walking path and thinking over these things. And that's so true. It's so easy to inundate ourselves with information and uh, TV, Netflix, and even other podcasts and all, all that kind of good stuff when we need to take the time just to think and maybe even bang our head on the desk or take a nap. <laughs> yeah. So what what was it like uh, co-writing a book? I've done it before. Um, it's It does have its challenges. So Emily, um, as, you, as you and Laura worked on this together, uh, what were some of your experiences? Yeah. I mean, I think like we mentioned, the first piece of the puzzle was really kind of divvying out responsibilities. And so the way that we decided to work it was to co-write literally the first three chapters and the last two chapters. And what we did for that was one of us would assign the first pass. And so we'd we'd sometimes get together and say, okay, what is it that we want to say in this? Let's get a rough outline down. Okay, now I'm going to take the first pass at that. And then I would hand it to Laura and granted Laura and I have worked together for a long time. So it's probably terrifying what I'm going to say, but Laura would go in and do whatever she wanted to it and not track her changes. And it would, she would just put her voice, change any sentence she wanted to change, <laughs> add in whatever she wanted to add. Did y'all and use Google what, docs or word or yeah. Google docs? Yep, okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah we, and we ha- we talked to several people like what's the best way to do this and nobody had like a super great answer for us so we just used Google Drive. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, it, it worked well. great. So we would just pass it back and forth until we kind of got this piece that we couldn't really tell one person's voice from the other. It was us, and like we almost couldn't remember who wrote what anymore. 
And then we would start the process of like editing. And then that would be more like tracked changes and, hey, let's let's really kind of get the final piece of the puzzle. So that was the, the portions that if you look in the book, it says Emily and Laura. Yeah. Um, and then in the middle, we said, hey, we do, though, want there to be places where it's our individual voices, our individual stories. And so then we each took different chapters throughout the center section of the book. And that really allowed it to be a little bit more personal. But what we did was we had a framework and we had a word count. And so every chapter, even though it's you know more personal, we really tried to mimic each other's framework so that hopefully it's seamless across chapters that you don't feel like you're having whiplash. And it that was a little bit of a process that kind of took several chapters being written to really figure out how we're going to uh, make them all align together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But Emily and I have written together for a long time. Like she mentioned or worked together. This mm-hmm. was obviously the, the biggest project and the biggest chance for us to kind of have a voice into one another's work, I suppose. But one thing that is great is that I really valued Emily in this process because I knew she would make my writing stronger and better. Even the chapters that say, you know, Laura under the headline that I just wrote, Emily had a hand in shaping a lot of those things. And I think having a friend, even if you're not co-writing, but having a friend that you can be really honest with and say, have you thought about the other side of this? Like, I feel like this isn't well-rounded or you haven't thought about another personality or this sentence right here just is dragging the whole thing down or whatever it may be. I think there's just a lot of beauty in having a companion to write with and someone who Emily brings a lot of great technical skill and a lot of um, great just building an argument. She's just very, very good at seeing the logical flow of something and saying, here's how we can make this flow and work. And here's a good framework. And I think I bring a little more storytelling and color and flavor to things. And we really balance one another out. And when I started to view her, and I think I always have, but even more so as an asset to my writing, I think that really helped where I'm like, come, come edit. I want to see, hear what you think. And just being able to be really honest throughout the process, I think was so big and and seeing each other as really immensely valuable to our writing Mm -hmm. um, helps some of the pain of it. (laughs) Yeah. It's so vulnerable. Yeah. The humility and the honesty needed for that whole process is, is gigantic. Um, Mm -hmm. Brandon Smith and I, who's he's, he uh, works for the CSB Christian Standard Bible and is also a, a professor at Cedarville University. We wrote a little theology book together called Rooted Theology for Growing Christians. And we did that through Word, through track, track changes when years ago when it came out. We didn't really, I don't think any of us knew how to use Google Docs and stuff back then or what we were doing. <laughs> but we didn't track our changes as solidly as we would have liked. And there were so many, I mean, probably all throughout the book is like, man, I can't even tell who wrote what anymore. And we still argue to this day over, no, I wrote that sentence. Like there's one line in particular, (laughs) I think it's that Christ is um, theology with uh, 10 fingers and and 10 toes. And and so instead of just saying, you know, he's incarnate, like you get, you know, you add some flavor to it and he says, I'm pretty sure, he's pretty sure I wrote that. I'm like, no, I think I wrote that. And there's, so funny. there's one other line we, that I love that was uh, what it's uh, that one day there won't be enough nails in the coffin to hold you in. And oh, that's good. And I swear, I mean, I would put my whole bank account and everything on it that I wrote. it. <laughs> he swears that he wrote it. And so we're just going to arm wrestle or something. I don't know. That's so funny. We never do that. Yeah. Are Not we, yet. It's still anything? too fresh. It's too Not fresh. Yeah. I mean, 
anything, I'm always like, oh, Emily wrote that. Like, I would totally the other way of like, if it was good, it was Emily. I don't know. And I'm not trying to be like falsely humble right now. Like, I just, I feel Uh, like we never talk about it. And I I do think it's helped our relationship, though, probably if we're both silent to it. Yeah, we just (laughs) Maybe we think it. Yeah, yeah. I think this idea piece is what's key because what happens is, and we talk about this a lot for podcasting, is we get an idea and it comes to the table and it's like, I set the first block down. And then Laura comes in and she stacks a couple blocks on top of that. And then I'm like, oh, actually, let's move the blocks this way. And then she comes in, let's move it that way. And we add a block. And then by the time we have this finished structure, it's like even if the, you know, maybe just Laura that's like saying it or writing it or communicating, it's really murky, like because our ideas formed together. And so it is very much I think there is a a piece of co-writing of having to be open handed and just generous with saying like, it's, it's blurry. It's us. You know, it's what God did through us. It's not just the one person or the other person. But we've also learned, yeah. I think that in public or when yeah. we're being, because we work so closely, not just on a book, but in all ministry, pretty much we've gotten better about saying, Oh, Emily said this, yeah. or, Emily yeah, yeah. put this idea in my head or, you know, really giving credit where credit is due. I do think yeah. that's something that we've both gotten better at. And we have had candid conversations at, in moments where someone has said, Hey, I think like maybe that was my idea and I'm just wondering if you think so too, you know, they're kind Mm -hmm. of awkward, but they're so good. We go through some of those moments Mm -hmm. where we're like, I really kind of felt hurt whenever you did this or I did that. And can we talk about this? And so those are good conversations just as partners to have. And it's really helped us to love one another well. And like, keep in mind, where does credit go for that original idea, which is kind of a question as as old as time. Absolutely. That's so good. Now, when you think about, you know, writing the the website and also, you know, doing the podcast in the book, there has to be such a large diversity of people that read and, and listen to everything y'all y'all put out. And so I guess what does it look like for y'all to to write for the reader and the diversity of readers in mind? Are there people in mind that you have? people in your church or um, people that have emailed y'all? Um, I guess, how, how do you write with such a diversity uh, in mind? Yeah, uh, this is a great question and something I think we've really grown in over the years. And it's something that in general, we, we do have an audience in mind at one level for you know our book and for Risen Motherhood. But in general, I think that we really strive to um, write first to one person and recognize that they're a very, there's a re- very real person on the other side of the screen or that will eventually turn those pages. And then what we both kind of tend to do is actually backtrack a little bit after we've written and walk back through and say, how would this sound to a mom in a different situation? And just think through all of the facets of whether that's an article or a microblog or one of the book chapters of saying, what if she's widowed? What if she's divorced? Right. What if she's older than me? Uh, what if she's adopted her children? What if she works, stays at home. She's a new believer, mature believer. So we, we kind of think through all of the different profiles of a mom that might be reading in order to make sure that, that our language is soft or considerate towards someone in another uh, life stage or just in another, I don't know, area of life. And so that's something that I think has really helped strengthen our writing is kind of giving that second pass with a special eye towards that, or even thinking about what about, so Emily and I are really different, which again, I think we've expressed and helps us in our writing. Um, and, and something that we'll often think through is, okay, I'm, 
I'm Laura speaking here. Um, I'm kind of a type A mom, you know, I'm, I'm very go getter and can tend to, um, I don't know, rely on myself easier. And then Emily is more the fun mom and she's going to have a great time. And, and so even balancing personality types and thinking Mm -hmm. through, Oh, that's actually not how I perceive that, or that's not the main sin issue that I'm dealing with, or that's actually not helpful truth right now. I kind of need to hear something like this. And so we will think through a lot of those things. And again, we're better together because we can offer um, additional thoughts at looking at the reader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really, that's really helpful. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, with, with the website and, and with the, with the book itself, um, there are some ways that gospel centered writing can, can go to where it's all, uh, all, all indicative, all indicative, all indicative that never brings about any kind of imperative, which, which y'all don't do. Um, there's always a healthy balance that I think that's what the new Testament has. And then there's the kind of writing that you see that's all, uh, imperative, all do, all do. And so mm-hmm. how do you do, and especially I think with, with a, a ministry and a website geared towards motherhood and that I know the tendency down here in, in the suburbs of Houston is that moms can get, and I don't know what it's like up in Iowa or, or with readers all across the world that you have that it's so easy to fall into the, the, the guilt of motherhood. I'm not doing enough and I'm not doing that. And so I think I've done a great job at trying to not have these writings and, and not, you know, have these teachings be another yoke for people. So how, how do y'all intentionally keep the, the grace and the gospel of, of grace in the focus of the writing when it is a, Hey, do these kinds of things, obey these things, try these things Mm -hmm. without it feeling legalistic. Sure. Yeah. It's just been a really big ongoing conversation for us. And I would also say it's kind of something that we correct in, you know, over and over again, where it's kind of like, oh, this felt a little bit too much like that, or this felt a little bit too much that other direction. And so it's just kind of a constant ongoing walk and being aware of those things. But one thing we try to search for whenever we're communicating on a podcast, or like Laura said, in an article or on a micro blog is to say, what is the truth here? that's applicable for all moms for all of time. And it doesn't matter if she's living in China or she's living in Alaska or Iowa, the suburbs of Houston. What is it that this mom could take from the word about the good news of Jesus Christ and how it applies? And then what is that nugget? And we kind of want to get there versus going directly to, well, how does she apply this? Because that application piece from the principle is often what can look really different depending on what that mom's culture is, you know, what, how old her children are. Um, and I think what we see out there is exactly like what you've expressed. Sometimes writing can be a little bit more theological and philosophical and it kind of stays up in the clouds or sometimes it's only boots on the ground and it's only the, the practical of, Hey, here's 10 great snacks to feed your kids. Well, that's great if I live near the same type of grocery store, but if I'm in another era or I have um, different socioeconomic status, like that may not be helpful to me. So we would go in the middle and say, what's the principle from the word about what a mom's responsibility is to nourish her children? And what we find is when we start there, uh, we can give a couple of examples of like, 
And here's kind of how we play this out. But moms are smart enough to take that into their own situation and figure out, okay, well, if my responsibility is first to nourish their hearts with the word of God and the love of Christ, and then also another way I can love my neighbor is where possible care about their nutrition because that helps their brain and that helps them grow. And this helps me steward this little life that I'm taking care of. She can kind of figure that out. And then there's a ton of freedom, right, for how that looks. And and we find that when moms see that there's that freedom and the practical aspect without saying, yeah, there's just freedom to believe whatever you want to believe, um, there we're often able to find attention. I don't know what you would add there, Laura. No, I but, think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really, really helpful. And I think it's something that we have to, I think every writer's got to keep in balance because we want to give encouragement for the everyday because um, that's where our lives are lived. It's not just Sunday morning. And I feel as also as, as a pastor and, and as a writer that we want to give people the truth and also the the do's. Um, yeah. That, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is riddled with, with you know, commands. and But Jesus gives us the right foundation for all those things. Uh, and I was wondering, I, I don't know if, if I've read this anywhere or maybe I just missed it. H- how did the name Risen Motherhood come about? H- how did y'all decide to name? You could have named it a million things. But, but. <laughs> right, we could have. Uh, yeah, this really, uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. Emily. I think uh, it's my husband, Brad. Oh, okay. That's what, my brother. Yeah. Okay. Her husband. I'll take, I'll take a little bit of it. it there flew you through, go. Flew through me. Um, so Brad thought of it, but really the idea behind the name Risen Motherhood is just simply to remind moms to live in light of the re- resurrection and just to remember that what Christ has done for them and how the cross changes everything. And we, you know, we live in the already, but not yet. Um, and so we have this great future hope to look forward to someday, but we want to remind them that you have the Holy Spirit now, you have Christ's example now, you have the ability to live out the gospel every day in your life. And so that's really, you know, what the term risen motherhood means. It's just trying to encompass this idea of living life differently because you trust in Jesus and looking forward ahead to the consummation of God's plan. And so it's a fairly simple message, but obviously just like the gospel, it it, it unpacks in so many different ways. And um, our hope is just by simply seeing the term risen motherhood, moms just remember their call to live a life that is in light of the resurrection. Yeah. We often will say we want to move beyond commiseration to Christ likeness. And we see that so often with moms, like we want to commiserate with one another, right? Like, Oh, I'm so tired too. And Oh, I can't believe my kid did this. And we, we, okay. Like there is a part of like, let's put our arms around each other and like (laughs) pat each other in the back, but risen motherhood moms that know, Christ died, but he was, he was risen from the dead and he's defeated death and he's on the throne. He's coming back. Don't stop there. Those moms say, nope, how are we going to look to Christ and act like Christ? And what are we going to do to love those around us? Mm -hmm. And so that, that's kind of our heart and where that comes from. Now, one of the things y'all kept mentioning throughout the show, and I think Laura, you were the first one to mention it is uh, micro blogging. So what, (laughs) what is that? And let's, let's say, you know, a woman comes up to you and says, I want to start writing. Um, would you recommend Instagram microblogging? So what is it? And would you recommend it? How could somebody get started doing it? I love where this conversation <laughs> is going. Go, Laura, go. <laughs> um, would I recommend it? What is it? Oh, what is it? Okay. Uh, Instagram microblogging, I would say it's just writing a piece uh, built for Instagram. It's short. What is it? 2,200 characters on yep. Instagram. So you're definitely within some pretty tight constraints. And really, it's 
in a sense, just like a miniature blog post mm-hmm. that is, is really tight. And uh, we do it on Risen Motherhood quite a bit simply because it's pretty bite-sized. It's easy for moms to kind of digest. We often joke that she's probably in, not joke, but we often say, okay, think about a mom that's in a supermarket or she's in the checkout line. What are we going to do to kind of encourage her in that moment? You've got three minutes and she can read the magazines next to her. She can, you know, uh, look at the candy in the aisle or she can read this Instagram post, you know, what's she going to pick? And so that's sort of what we think about when we write these microblogs. And um, if I would encourage someone to start writing them, I would say it depends on the person and your reasons why. I don't know. What yeah. do you think, Em? What we often said when we started out, we thought it was harder to write a good microblog than it was to write a good blog post. Yeah. So I think that it, to, to deliver something in a smaller size actually requires more skill. Um, and I think that until you're able to really lay out almost more like a small essay length um, argument or thought it can be difficult to translate that, but certainly, I mean, microblogging is a thing and we it's do it in popularity. And I yeah. think especially, um, younger demographics are not reading blogs as much. Yeah. And so it's a great way to reach people, mm-hmm. I think, but, um, I think you have to be careful with whether or not you do it as, as Emily said, like, are you able to really, um, portray the full truth in that post or be able to point people where to find a more Mm -hmm. fuller, more robust piece. Um, and if someone was wanting to grow in their writing skills, like I guess it depends on the purpose. Yeah. Because we found when we went to, um, chapter length, we were like, Oh man, how do we write this many words? (laughs) You know? And so there's, it's a writing's a muscle. And so when you're training for sprinting, it's going to be hard to run long distance. And so I do think like, writers need a good variety, but I do think microblogs are just in a pure sense of like, what are people reading right now, especially the younger demographic? I do think many people are preferring microblogs compared to maybe using RSS readers and, and having mm-hmm. their feed. I still have a Feedly, I, but I don't feel like many people do anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a Feedly. I check it once a day. I scan it yeah. real quick and then I'm like, yep, eh, whatever. But I, <laughs> I, only, I only look at maybe three or four of the sites on there. Yeah. Um, the rest, I just actually go to their website. You know, it's interesting. I I was in a meeting, uh, at the gospel coalition this past year. And one of the people in the meeting is one of your board members, Abigail Dodds. And we were talking about, uh, we were talking about microblogging and how it really seems to be a medium that has taken off among women writers, but we, we, neither of us could think of any male writers that are doing Instagram microblogging. Yeah. We were sitting there like wondering why, why is, is it that? because of the photos? I had no idea. Do y'all have any men insights? Tend to not, I think men tend to not care as much about taking photos or mm-hmm. um, maybe they don't feel like they have content. Moms like to post their children. I mean, we yeah. don't, but I wonder sometimes, sometimes I think the hindrance, at least I've heard for women on Instagram is less so the writing and it's more so finding the picture to go with. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Are, are they just all on Twitter? I guess. I don't know. When I, <laughs> when I think about it, it's interesting that it has taken off among, uh, mainly, I guess, among Christian women. But yeah. mm-hmm. it, and it, it is the worst platform to read on out of yeah. all of them. It's the smallest text. You can't yeah. click on any links. Uh, but it's done so well. So it's like the, all those hurdles are like, so I think men should, I'm brainstorming on what would that look like to to do more stuff in there. Maybe guys don't go for that. I have no idea. It's stumping me. 
Yeah, I, I would love to read some guys microblogging. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think microblogs have taken off beyond just Christian women, mm-hmm. though. I would say, like, I think there are a lot of just women that yeah. are microblogging on Instagram and all sorts of. I mean, I see a lot of motherhood stuff across the board where. I do think it's outside of just the Christian circles, but mm-hmm. yeah. men, you're right. You got to work on that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to figure this out. Now, if you were to recommend a one or or two books or resources for people who wanted to grow in, in their writing, what, what would y'all recommend? Mm. Well, I haven't read Andrew Peterson's new book yet. I want yeah. to. I definitely want to get that. Um, you know, I, I mean, one that I've gone back to over and over again is just on writing. Yeah. Um, I think that one always reminds me about the importance of clarity and the importance of writing in a way that is um, direct and concrete. Oh, I know the other resource I wanted to recommend is just uh, Jonathan Rogers has oh, yeah. a, oh. a newsletter. Yeah, and the, the habit. Every, oh, The Habit. Yes, it's called The Habit. And it's so good and so practical. I mean, a lot of times I'll be like thinking or struggling with something in my writing. And then the next week I'll be like, Oh, Jonathan Rogers just emailed (laughs) me an answer. Um, I mean, he deals with everything from grammatical questions to figuring out how to take an abstract idea and communicate it in a concrete, powerful way. And it's kind of like, I feel like I get a writing lesson every week. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really helpful. What about you, Laura? Yeah, I would have to um, also recommend The Habit. I think I, I read it every time it comes out. I love it. Uh, I've also really liked Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont. And I would echo every – Emily's – what's that? Oh, the on writing. Yeah, on writing. I would echo that as well. And I think just reading – just good books. I, I think reading widely, reading well. Um, I love reading fiction books, just a different style of writing. And I think, again, I love the storytelling. I love just – people who are beautiful with words and imagery and descriptions. And so even though like I'm generally writing nonfiction, I think that that stuff carries over and there's just something about kind of being filled up with, with different ways of writing that also help expand and make you a better writer. Mm -hmm. The other thing that really has helped me in the last couple of years is I started editing other people's work really heavy. And when I had to sit in the chair of an editor and kind of look more objectively at someone else's piece. Some concepts that I think were hard for me to understand from the writer's chair became a lot more clear and a lot less personal. And so I found that then when I went to go write, it was, I was just a little bit quicker to, um, do the thing that I needed to do and not be so in love with my words. And like, maybe if I'm writing an article, go back through and go, okay, is this first paragraph like really needed? Or am I just wanting to say this and I'm just wanting to get off the ground? You know, I could put on my editor brain for myself a little bit easier and that helped tremendously. Yeah. So much helpful advice. Uh, you guys do do great work, great writers, do great ministry. Uh, if you want to f- keep up with Risen Motherhood, if maybe the first time you're hearing about it, you can go to their website. I put a link to that in the show notes, and you can find all their Instagram, uh, Twitter, and, and all the places in the podcast, of course, where you can keep up with them. So, Emily and Laura, thank you so much for for coming on the show. It's been a, been great having y'all on. Yeah, thanks thank for having you. us. And as always, uh, everyone, just keep writing. <laughs>